All right, I'll give you another take that's not quote unquote racist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give that some time. I think I might actually snip that out and put it at the start of the episode. <laughs> 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 all right we are off to a flying start here <laughs> so that looks good i can see it, your nipples through your shirt so it, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that how nipply am i did you say i was nipply <laughs> you're giving them a flick is that don't flick them <laughs> well you just said you, them, could, you were looking at my nips it's Sunday. It's the Lord's day and you're flicking your nips. Fucking the Lord loves nips, man. He was out there on the cross completely shirtless. Where's his sense That's of modesty? Now, do you think that Jesus had a big dick? <laughs> Is that where we're starting? <laughs> well, it's got to be something because you'd, you'd expect the son of God to be packing some heat under there, but... He doesn't look, he doesn't have big dick energy, I don't think, Jesus. No, he's a massive, like, beta kind of vibe, I think. You reckon Jesus is a beta? Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, by definition, he kind of is, because God's the alpha. Yeah, and he's just letting shit happen, right? Like, he moves through the world, and he's like, what do we know? I'm just here to spread my teachings or whatever. You do what you want. He totally could have got out of that fucking Last Supper shit, but he just let it happen. He didn't have the balls to, to... you know, take a stand. Is well, this our I mean, hottest was... take? <laughs> I mean, I'm distancing myself from okay. this take. Sure. Um, we're a week out of Easter. Yeah. My so belly's it, so still full of fine. Easter eggs. That's safe. We're in the safe zone. <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, I've been thinking a bit about Jesus lately and about how we... Uh, how he... How it, like, if he existed and if, if he... Uh, if he was who he who was he was he just like a cult leader you know was he just a very persuasive charismatic guy or was he just someone that was he just a a, a figment of someone's uh, imagination well isn't there evidence that he was real like that he was a person or is oh, that I all hear, i mean it's that. so many years ago you hear that i like to imagine like historical figures and just really try and imagine who how what big their dicks actually, are well, that's part of it. I know that sounds crass, but that is part of it. Like Jesus had a penis. Jesus took a shit. Uh-huh. Jesus probably had a very smelly. So gooch. do we need to like rattle off some historical figures here? And I just get a ju- gut check from you about penis size. Love this. Okay. I mean, the obvious place to start is Hitler. Hitler. Ah, uh, that's small. That's, that's S- small dick energy. Big, that's SD. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jesus, you think he's up there? I reckon just medium. Just medium. like me. I think okay. just a solid I mean, look, there's a lot medium. of artistic um, support here. Like any of those sort of classical statues, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio or Da Vinci. Um, small dicks were big. They were, they were all into the small dick energy. Yeah. So I don't know if that's historical or if that's just a cultural taste. Um, mm. But, yeah, it, like a lot of the evidence suggests not much going on there. And also, people were shorter back then as people well. People were so shorter, even even smaller. You no, imagine. no, no. That's backwards. No, shorter people look like they have bigger dicks. Okay, I don't understand how that because makes the sense. distance that between their knees and their hips is shorter, right? So comparative, contextual, you know, line of sight. Think about it. 
it, it looks more it looks bigger proportionally okay it's perspective it's a perspective trick it's like looking at oh, okay. the full moon rising over the mountains and you're like wow how is the moon that big how can it possibly be that big and it's because you're like on the ground looking at at next to a street light or next to the mountain tops and then when it's up in the middle of the sky you're like oh that's not that big a circle yeah perfect analogy yeah so that's why jesus's penis was probably not that big is what i'm saying okay we had um, that sheath like around his waist didn't he when he was up on the cross that's so, the other like thing. his mother his mother would it was famously famously famous but she's been photographed at the bottom of <laughs> photographed <the cross>, weeping <laughs> yeah. but getting a perfect upskirt shot so she would have seen all these ghoulies i mean if she's raised him she's seen all that right that's not that's not news I guess. I guess the thing here is as well, like there's a lot of Jesuses in chapels. So like it would have been a bit of a distracting thing if they had depicted his full holiness. So maybe it was just retrospectively edited to like downplay it. And maybe he was really well hung, but it was just, it was inappropriate for the, the church to sort of pass that on as one of his teachings like oh you know love thy neighbor you know don't do a murder also don't know if this sways you at all he was packing he was yeah. packing it so i don't know I'm just putting it out there i don't know if you need to think about it again the murder thing not that great coveting neighbors blah 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 you know be kind to others just saying this guy had it all he had a lot of other yeah. attributes and i'm just putting it out there great bod great great bod Great bod for some of them. They sexualize him a lot on some of those statues. I mean, it is weird. Jesus is sexualized. You know, the long hair, the blue eyes. He was a surfer bro. He was a bit of a surfer bro, but like, he's how? Where is he? He's just walking around, talking and drinking wine, presumably. Where is he getting time to get into shape? He would have been either really skinny, or he just had a dad bod. I think that he had, well, if we take it, you know, according to legend, he could turn shit into other shit. So it was probably just like walking past the bush and he's like, hamburger, please. And the bush turns into a hamburger, you know? So I don't think he has to worry about feeding himself. I, he wouldn't be skinny. Yeah. Uh, those those famous Israeli hamburgers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They really, they really creep up on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, alrighty. Uh, other yeah, historical figures. Einstein. I reckon maybe a BDE. Yeah, he he's got scientific BDE. Yeah, which is definitely a thing. Absolutely. SBDE. Yeah, I mean he he you know he strutted around the world upending everything like that's some that's some real BDE. Hmm. Um, um. Stephen Hawking. Same thing. Same thing. Right. Fundamentally reshaping everything about the world. That's that's classic BDE, and also a, a sort of genuine disinterest in everything around him. Classic. That's kind of like us, though. As you say that, I'm thinking that's I'm mean, we're reshaping the world. <laughs> you know, we're kind of we're doing our own thing. We don't give a fuck. I mean, I think Deep Thought has BDE. Mm, I think comparing ourselves to Einstein and Hawking might be more of a SDE angle. Oh, you had to. You have to have a go. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to have a go. Somehow. yeah the, well great great summary of that discussion welcome to the deep thought everybody so sorry for what you've just enjoyed but i'm so glad that you made it this far this is a podcast in which we discussed meaningful things as well as often 
just not meaningful things. Sitting through the internet with me this week, my friend, Michael. Yep. Cool, and I'm Nick. Um, nice to be here. That's my new uh, that's my new thing. It's just going to be yep. Just a yep and then silence. Yep. That's good. My catchphrase is yep. It's not a great catchphrase for a podcast, which sort of is predicated on the idea of conversation. But no. I guess we'll see <laughs> where it goes. Great. <laughs> Feeling good about this one. I mean, I am. It's cozy, man. It's a, it's a, it's a, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's raining over here. It's nice and cold. Bit of a drizzle going on outside. I've got my hoodie on. Yeah, you I've do. I've got my, my socks and sandals on. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's um, not raining over here, but it's definitely feeling a lot colder than it was. So, uh, isn't it funny that I don't, did I talk about, I've been saying a lot of, you know, I, I'm on repeat. My, the things that I say, I'm just, I've got five things that I say <laughs> that I talk about in any like two week period. And I just, I just churn them over. Just, just try and get as much as I can out of them. And this week, one of them is, um, isn't it funny that the seasons, to me, they sound like the dates of them sound, they seem so arbitrary, but it really feels like as soon as it turns, what are we in autumn now? Yeah. Fall. As soon as it turns to autumn, it really feels like as soon as that date clicks over that, it feels like autumnal weather, you know, it, despite being, despite seeming arbitrary. Yeah, you but you that? know that the seasons, those dates, you know that we call it the thing because the, the change happens, right? I do know that, but I feel like there should, it seems like there should be some more transition. You and feel, I guess there is. You wish there was a little bit more of a, a seasonal foreplay. Instead of this kind of, of just blend, like all of a sudden know? it's winter, all of a sudden it's cold. It feels cold. like after summer it should get should get cooler and cooler and then start getting, you know, into winter weather. But it just feels like it just goes Yes, bang. that's what autumn is. Well, okay. I'm 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 not I'm not saying that I'm it should be this way. I'm just saying it just feels like it it should be, you know, a bit more of a transition. But aren't we you in the transition I mean? now? Like isn't that the whole it point? It just feels like winter. Okay. Well, I'm not in your specific geolocation, so I can't can't really speak to that. We're still having days which have sunlight and which feel sort of semi-warmish in the afternoon and that sort of thing. So I guess we're getting a smoother transition than you are. But Melbourne is a famously fickle climate anyway. Yeah. You know what they say about Melbourne weather, Nick? Four, four seasons in a day. Four seasons in a day. Yeah. How exciting. What's been new with you beyond just existentially gazing out the window at the changing of the seasons? Oh, you know, I had a went to Adelaide for a lovely Easter. Oh, yeah. Um, Easter happened. Saw the family. Yeah. yeah we were, spent five, six days down there, which yeah. is very nice. Lauren got to meet all my family. Um, we, uh, what did we do? We went to some wineries. We didn't get much out of Victor Harbour, but... Um, you know, it was five Sorry, days. By with... that you mean you didn't leave Victor Harbour very much, or you didn't no. enjoy the process of being in Victor Harbour. Uh, I mean that we didn't. We stayed in Victor Harbour. You know, five out of the six days that yeah. we were there. Yeah, right. Um, but it, yeah, it was nice. We climbed the bluff. We went to Granite Island. We uh, went to some wineries. We did all that shit, um, and it was just a really relaxing time. 
Did you walk um, to, to Granite Island or did you do the 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 cart? Well, the cart we did consider the cart, but the cart with the Clydesdale horse, yeah, is it's like twenty bucks to do return trip, and it's like a five minute walk. So it just felt weird to do it. My memory is it was a lot longer than a five minute walk. It really wasn't. We did it very oh, quickly. Wow. Um. So we didn't do that, but we we smelt the horses and we looked at them, and- <laughs> which is the next best thing. Well, you got to smell a horse. <laughs> Do you? Why? It's the best part about the horse. What? They smell really horsey. <laughs> well, yep, there's certainly no false advertising. What do you mean you've got to smell it? You gotta, when you see a horse, you're, you're, what your first thought is, oh, there's a horse over there. I really want to get a whiff of that. I want to enjoy the horsiness. Yeah, I think I feel like they've got good pheromones. Okay. I might be part horse, maybe. 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 Quite- I feel I'm not attracted in sexual way to a horse, but I can't believe I had to say that. But I probably didn't need to say that. But yeah, I feel I feel drawn to a horse. Drawn. Uh huh. God, what a minefield this conversation is. <laughs> An unexpected minefield, like a real surprising one. Where, like we were I- deep in brush. It didn't look at any way like there was traps. And somehow we've still ended up in a place that requires clarification that, that you're not attracted to horses. You could you could say that I maybe I make my own minefield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you could be a good argument for that. Yeah, but you no. Know, anyway, well, okay, we you we saw a horse. I'm glad you had a good trip. Enough on the horse chat is over. Um, you know, we we just drank a shitload of wine, hang out, hung out with the. The Snartinskis. Uh, what what more can you say, Nick? You've been there. Yeah, that's that's lovely. Time there. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Feeling uh feeling relaxed. And family vibes were good. Great family vibes. Okay. Great family vibes. Okay. They loved Lauren. Um, Lauren loved them. It was uh it was just a it was a wholesome experience, you know. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. How was yours? It was good. We did a um a getaway to a place called Karamea, which is up on the west coast, northwestern side uh, of South yes. Island. Now I you sent me those photos and they looked incredible. Yeah. Um and I didn't even think to ask where you were. <laughs> it's all good. I can I could tell that you were just finding your socks because they'd been blown off. Um the <laughs> the vibe over there is like the west coast is sort of like it's it's definitely its own microclimate, but it's also its kind of own rural place and the entire western side of the south island is over a a mountain range so it's it's sort of tucked away you always have to drive up through a pass to get over there and uh so over on that side of um the island we had done quite a lot down south but never gone up too far north and headed up to this very small town which you know like a one one cafe two restaurant two hotel kind of town which is at the southern end of one of the great walks of new zealand um, yeah. of which there are about 10. Um, and uh, KC had suggested it because there was a cave system and that kind of stuff. Um, and he'd seen tours and things and I don't know, just had an impulse to head over there. So we, we booked two nights and went over and, and yeah, did a bunch of walking, visited some cave systems, a um, bit of like off-roading to get out to these sort of limestone arches and that kind of thing. Um, a beautiful walk along the start of the Heafy Track, which is one of the great walks. Um, three days, I think, if you do the whole thing. Um, but we just did an hour out and an hour back, which took us to one of those beautiful beaches that I sent you. Yeah. And they had lots of sandflies, you said. So many fucking sandflies. We'd sp- now, they're like the ones an- that bite? Yeah, they're the bloodsuckers. 
Why do they bite? Why, they, why they do they want have that feast. ability? I know. It's gross. That's weird. There it's had like, be a fly. There had been a um a hot pool stop along the way that we went out and had a soak. And they were also teeming with sandflies. So you're sitting there in these like natural hot pools, like squat on rocks, you know, having a soak. And then your head is just a swarm of fucking flies. It's very hard mm. to feel zen and relaxing when there's like vampiric bugs on you. Vampiric, yeah, yeah, that's a great word. Um, no, we've got the we've got sandflies here down the coast, and it's it's weird that it's weird that the sandflies seem to exist in the places where you want to relax the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, so this beach that we'd walked along a great trek, like a great walk, uh, is you know a titular great walk. We'd walk for an hour along this coastal sort of tropical jungle, and gone up an incline up along this sort of mountain ridge and then we're coming back down and descending toward the beach and we could see this beautiful beach and we're getting closer and closer and getting lower and lower and it's just like really tantalizing destination and and eventually we hit back down to ground level again and stepped out into this beautiful vista i mean i sent you the video it's Mm. it's unbelievable and we're like wow what a walk like how amazing to be only an hour out from where we started and be in a place like this and then the 10 million sandflies attacked and so we're like covering our faces, like putting jackets on, even though we were hot, like everything to like minimize the skin exposure. And we stayed there for maybe three to five minutes max after this huge walk. We're like, okay, um, take a photo and let's just get the fuck out of here again. <laughs> because once Is you're up on bad? the track, they left you behind and, um, uh. and and you went off. So it was a little bit of a shame that we were... I guess underprepared in terms of repellent or or they were overpopulating the the area because it would have been lovely just to actually <laughs> chill for a little bit. You needed one of those those Australian outback hats with the corks that swing on them. Yeah. I mean I would have felt for the first time my first time in my life, I think, that that would have been a useful thing as an Australian citizen to own. But um no. Does it even work? Does that defer, deter flies? I think it might just look cool. Because it does look cool. Mm. It's weird though. Do I think we've talked about moths and butterflies before? But like, I guess bees and flies are the same. Where you, you they're basically the same creature, but what? they have very different identities. <laughs> you got this. Bees have a very respectable kind of good work ethic. Um, <laughs> you know, disciplined uh, species, uh-huh. and flies just seem like lazy. You know, um, gross, disgusting, um, just kind of leeching on the, the, you know, the scraps and stuff. But they're essentially the same, you know, animal. Yeah. But we have this, we have this disgust towards flies, and this this reverence for bees, and in the same way that you know moths and butterflies are the same, but moths are gross and butterflies are beautiful. I mean, there's so many factual things wrong with that statement that I don't even really know where to start. And I'm almost more tempted just to let it go and and just say... Let it go, baby. Yep. It feels right. I don't think it does. Does that not feel right to you with the flies and the bees? (laughs) No, they're so different in so many ways. Yeah, but they're both small. They've got wings. They have maggots. (laughs) They don't have maggots. Well, honey or something. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'm going to just park that one because i don't have the energy to go How's back this? Through. Do, you, do you do you know did you know that if the bees die that humans die mm-hmm. you heard this yeah that's pretty wild yeah 
All right. Okay. Uh, what else have we got? You got anything? Because I got a weird news um, and not much else. I have a yeah. I mean, we've got we've got a um uh, a topic sent in by Maggie that we can get to in a minute. But um, I did have one more story from our travels because I I'd be curious to know um your uh your side of it. But um, so when we were driving over to Karamea, we were you know, now that it's autumn, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it really feels like it just suddenly became winter overnight. Um, Thank you. But we were traveling sort of at seven o'clock, which was now pitch dark, and we were off in this remote highway area, no street lights, just the headlights of your car to, to go by, and driving to our destination, because um, it's about a six-hour drive from Christchurch all up. Um, and as we were heading along this highway, God, classic myth, the people who hog up the traffic without pulling over, like camper vans and that kind of thing, rubbish. Just what the fuck are you doing? Look out your fucking mirrors. You see how there's 13 cars behind you? Pull the fuck over. Jesus Christ. Have some self-awareness. Oh, so infuriating, particularly on one-lane roads and, like, places that don't have built-in overtaking lanes. Like, just fucking pull over. Jesus Christ. And they would drive past things with, like, there are active signs now which says, Traffic behind you, let it pass. Like, and then they'd be, they'd be placed strategically just before an area where you could like actually pull over on the side of the road for a little bit. Not a passing lane, but like obvious space where you could let them through. And they just fucking barrel past it. Oh, infuriating. Disgusting. We, I think, are better drivers, KC and I. And so we were driving in the darkness towards our destination and there was a car behind us and it was following us. And so at a certain point it was clear they were either more confident or more eager and trying to go a bit faster than we were. So we pulled over to let it pass and we pulled over and waited for, you know, 10, 20 seconds. And the car pulled over behind us and didn't go. They were like, what the fuck? And so then we, we got back on the road again and we drove a little bit and it's right behind us. You know, it's dark headlights in the rear view mirror, like r- sitting on our tail. And we get a little bit further up, a little bit further up and there's another space and we pull over and it pulls over behind us and it doesn't want to go in front of us. And we're like, what are you up to? What is happening here? So we keep going. And like most of New Zealand, there is roadworks up ahead. And uh, we get to one of those uh, intersection, or it's not an intersection, um, roadworks where two lanes become one and they've got a stoplight on a timer and then one lane of traffic goes through and then it flips and then the other one goes through. So it's like a dead stop and we're sitting at this red traffic light and we pull over there and it's like, okay, I don't know how long we have to wait here, but it's probably a little while. And then behind us in the rearview mirror, all of a sudden, blue and red lights. We'd been tailed by the police and they're oh, flashing coppos. and the coppos have now, um, you know, told us to sit basically. So we put it in park. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like there's no phone reception. There's nothing. We're not speeding. We're just nowhere. Um, and so we're in park. Casey's driving. I'd had a beer at dinner and, and so he's been driving. And then the cop comes up and he you know, winds down the window. It's like, yeah, license, license, please. And Casey hands it over. Like you do that sort of fumble where you're like, oh, fuck, where's my license? It's nerve wracking. Fuck, where's my license? Where, yeah, it is nerve wracking. And the guy's looking at us. He's got a torch because it's pitch black and, you know, flashing Ooh, it in the car. That's even, that, you feel incriminated already. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? And um, it was Easter weekend. 
So I think that they mm. had like a quota to hit of like pull over people on the roads, oh, regardless yeah. of if there was like any suspicious behavior, they're just doing checks. And so then he's like, where are you off to tonight? And we're like, oh, Caramere. And he's like, hmm, yeah, okay. Um, bit of a drive, yeah. And like, I'm making like casual chat because I know in these situations, like Casey's not a chatter. I'm like the extrovert. So I'm, I'm jumping in even though I'm not the guy driving. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's winter. It gets dark so quickly. It feels like it's just, you know, flipped on overnight. You know, a You're lot of people in. I hear yeah. are talking about that. So um, nice. I have that chat. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it got real dark, doesn't it? And, and we're like, yep. Yeah. He's like, where are you staying tonight? And we're like, uh, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and then he says, you don't have to answer that. I'm just being nosy. So, oh, and we're like, hello. oh, okay. Um, and then it sort of becomes clear as we're talking and he's doing a breath on KC, which is fine, obviously. Um, it sort of becomes clear that this is like a single cop in a small town with a quota to hit just driving up and down these roads, pulling over everyone that comes past and having a chat. <laughs> and, oh. and so it, it starts to ease and like, once he's worked out that we're not like in breach of anything, he's just having a chat. He's like, oh, you should really go to the arches, man. Like there's some beautiful, you know, limestone caves. And we're like, yep, yeah, we're thinking we'll do the arches. He's like, yeah, you've got to do the arches. Where, where do you, have you, you know, eaten dinner tonight? Because you could go to this hotel. That'll still be open. The last resort. That's quite good. We're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. He's the, he's the concierge of the town. <laughs> it was like town, town greeter almost. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm sure I'll see you around, which is like a real vaguely threatening thing for an, <laughs> an officer to say to you. Um, flirtatious. A little flirtatious. And he hands the, um, the license back to KC and then gets back in the car. And Casey was like, I just wish he fucking shut up. <laughs> like he was just talking about all this stuff. We're like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll do that walk. Yeah. We're going to go to the, the sites. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it would have been course... funny just for you to leave KC to do all the chit chat. Oh. Just see if it, if it just shut it down quicker because he wasn't going to get anything back from KC. Yeah. But I don't know if that feels like more confrontational or not. You know, like, I don't know. I was, I was just like, <laughs> I said to him, I would have been, this is my white privilege. You. Let me do this. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll handle this. Um, yeah. And so oh. then, then he got back in his car and we'd missed the light cycle. So then we had to sit for another X number of minutes waiting for the lights with the officer behind us. And then we slowly passed through. And of course you're just like going five Ks under the limit at all times. Right. Cause he's on your ass. So just slowly proceeding through these things. And finally he gets to a point where there's like a place to overtake and he fucking guns it. He guns it at like 140 Ks an hour past us around no these sirens. corners, <laughs> just completely doing his own thing. No sirens, no lights on. He's just like, well, I'm off done. And he kept yeah. going and, um, yeah, headed off down the thing. Um, it was, yeah, it was a strange and like surreal thing because your brain can't help but go to the, like the small town cop movie trope thing. They're like pulled over in the middle of the highway serial killer thing, like the horror story stuff. Yeah. I guess I'm just wondering what your general vibe is when dealing with officers. Are you, do you still hey, get like intimidated by the process? Oh, oh yeah. When, I, when I'm driving and like, and I, I've got, you know, the plods behind me, I'm, I'm all already, I'm like. I've done, they'll find they can find something wrong 
you know, and I've I've been pulled over by the police many times, you know, been done for not wearing a seatbelt and all really this shit, not having headlights. Yeah, heaps. I lost I lost my peas um, oh. very early on for running a stoplight stop stop sign, and uh, then separately wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So I, those four demerit points, I just lost them and had to wait a whole another year or something. Jeez. So it was a whole. I've got a whole chip on my shoulder about it. Um, but no, I, I, I would be the exact same as you. I, you know, try to like go into overdrive with the talking and just to be like, I just want to let you know that I am just a friendly guy. Yeah. That's, you know, I want to win points. I, I had fantasies, like not, not fantasies, fantasies, but I had thoughts about being, cause I, you know, I play jazz in my car cause uh-huh. I'm a cool guy. Uh-huh. I had I had I've had thoughts that you know if if the the cops pull me over and I'm just playing jazz. Do you think the officer would have music? said, "Sir, can you please put the saxophone down and put your hands on the wheel?" <laughs> <laughs> um, that if they if I get pulled over when I'm playing classical music or jazz, that automatically I'm in the good books because who's <laughs> who's who's going to be this can't be, that be a hooligan. Because they must pull over mo- most people. I imagine they pull over. I'm just playing like gangster rap or Coolio <laughs> or something, and, and I'm just like one of the. I'm just one of the nice guys, you know. Yeah, uh, fellas, don't worry about me. Just yeah. playing smooth jazz, baby. No, <laughs> yeah. no one, no one playing smooth jazz is doing anything wrong. You know who this is? Well, Ella Fitzgerald. True, so I think you can keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, um, hate the piggies. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I love them. <laughs> Um, I would, yeah, I would have been the exact same as, as you just, just chatterbox trying to, trying to just, just make it known that I'm a nice, friendly young man. It's interesting. I, I was getting, I was getting vibes that this cop, maybe cause you, you were saying that he's a single cop in town and asking where you guys are staying. It's a little bit like, oh, oh a little bit, a little, of a, oh. little bored, you uh-huh. know, missing the, uh, missing the, bring those the handcuffs. And kids. Yeah. <laughs> The um the the place that my brain went was like I had these flashbacks to my law days where we were taught about um, police officer conduct and and you know it was part of the I guess defenses or something like that like criminal defenses and the phrase that has stuck in my brain from that is reasonable cause to suspect that's the the bar of suspicion that a police officer needs in order to ask to search your car. Um, right. And so do you have reasonable cause to suspect that a crime is being committed or that there is something illegal that's happened here? And so it's funny that my brain just goes straight to that. It's just floating in my head like these kind of like neon sign, just waiting for him to say, oh, what do you got back there? Or, you know, can I have a look in your boot or, you know, something like that. Something which he would have no reason to do or, and nor that we have anything to hide in the car anywhere, but it's just flashing there like neon lights yeah. being like, uh, if he asks for something, which he's not like legally entitled to, um, I, I've got this like ripcord I can pull, but then that's such an antagonistic thing. And all of a sudden it, it goes from a, Hey, we're just like mates here. Listen to my jazz music to, Oh, okay. You're going to be like that. Are you? Mm. The attitude test. The attitude what test. Are, what, how, do, how do New Zealand cops compare to Australian cops? Because, you know, I've my uh, my understanding of New Zealand cops is based uh, entirely from um, indie rom-coms um, <laughs> that are set in New Zealand, and they all seem very, very pleasant and yeah. kind of goofy. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I think I've only been, I've only had three encounters with the popo in New Zealand. Uh, one was when I got breathoed. It was fine. I had been drinking under the limit. Nice. Uh, two, someone turned up at my door, uh, asking whether my former housemate was in the house, someone who hadn't lived there for a year because he was wanted by the police. And Is this the guy that had the pig's head in the No, in the <laughs> not that guy. <laughs> not, not that guy. Different person. This one, yeah. I think, if I was to guess, would have been more of like a technological crime, some sort of, yeah, um, hacking or okay. suspicious online activity. That would be my guess. But, you know, who knows? Um, and I said, oh, I could, I could message him, I guess. I haven't spoken in like a year, but I could message him like ask where he is. I think he was up in Auckland. And they said, no, don't message him. And oh. then they walked away <laughs> and I never oh, heard what happened next. very scary. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the third was just this one past where the sort of slightly overweight rural cop was telling us all the places we should go in his small town. So yeah, one out of three ain't that. Shame. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that was the picture that you had, had cast as like a, a jolly rural cop type slightly goofy but yeah um well i'm glad you guys uh yeah flew under the radar yet again yeah um weren't arrested for your your sins yeah if you know what i mean okay so you had a weird news yeah i got a weird news as well and i wonder if it's the same one but first i feel like we should delve into maggie's email all right is this a mailbag or just this maggie gets her own segment now well, it's. I don't think it's a mailbag because there's no fucking hello for a start, yeah. Maggie. Well, she she was very she was very chuffed that she uh, she you know got a mention on the on the two hundredth episode. Oh well, we're... even if it was even if it was to dismiss her <laughs> very reasonable suggestion that we call it sleep fort instead of blanket fort. Yeah, I mean but maybe all, there was a little bit of professional news, jealousy there. Um, so apologies um she has sent through uh, a couple of links uh no no hello no goodbye no we love the podcast um so classic things to work on um but a topic for discussion which is long-termism now did you have a chance to read uh any of this my god that sentence just failed the moment i started it was amazing dude uh no i didn't (laughs) I didn't. <laughs> okay, well, I guess it falls to me to try and summarize what together uh, comprises maybe 12,000 words worth of essays. Um, Chat GPT. <laughs> we could give it a crack. Um, she sent through a topic for us, uh, the idea of long-termism, which is, uh, well, one of these essays is calling it the world's most dangerous secular credo. And the other article here in Salon is understanding long-termism, why this suddenly influential philosophy is so toxic. Um, So I might sort of uh, abbreviate some of these quite substantial articles and and get to the heart of the talking point here. Um, But basically, this is a a, a sort of scientific um, and philosophical argument that's come into prominence these days as it's been backed by some of the world's um, more prominent billionaires, including our good old friend Elon Musk and Sam Bankman-Fried, um, better known as the guy who uh, destroyed all those people's money at FTX. Um, 
their philosophy, this has come into view in the last sort of 20 years or so, it's, it's sort of described as a quasi-religious worldview um, influenced by transhumanism and utilitarian ethics, asserting that there could be so many digital people living in the future, in the millions or billion years of the future, that one of our most important moral obligations today is to take actions that ensure as many of these people in the future come into existence as possible. So to, to again, sort of take a step back and, and, and really simplify it, it's the idea that our obligations and our actions and behavior today should not be focused on the improvement of, say, poor people's lives around the world, the eradication of poverty, even the fighting of climate change, if it comes at the expense of humanity as a whole and its future ability to, among other things, colonize the stars, um, technologically evolve itself, like become post-human um, mm -hmm. with augmentations or indeed immortality, um, that sort of thing. And further that, uh, oh, and just to create this kind of, digital people right to to be able to generate so when you say digital people literally what it mean? sounds like billions so people... of like electronic ai beings you know simulated yeah. beings right interesting so at its core again it's a utilitarianism in the terms of moral philosophy the idea that that we should measure the value of life and the positive experiences out there. And if everything that we did today made the lives of the 8 billion people on the planet by some objective metric, say 10% better, that's 80 billion units of happiness. But if it's at the expense of humanity as a civilization colonizing the planets, expanding into the multiple centuries and millennia to come, um, generating uh, immortal lives, creating digital people that number in the you know trillions upon trillions upon trillions, then the loss of all that potential um, humanity in the future outweighs the good that comes from helping people today. And thus we should discount, for instance, trying to fix climate change or trying to eradicate poverty because the the main goal of our civilization should be an entirely future looking aspirational far distant goal. Does that make, uh, does that make conceptual sense at this foundational point? It does. It, it seems though that what doesn't make sense is that if you're not, prioritizing an issue like climate change which is which is an existential threat then that can potentially lead that that if if we don't fix that that can potentially it's like a house of cards you know we, we then what's the point of you know that that could eliminate you know the human race bef well before we even get to the point of having digital peoples. Mm. Uh, poverty, on the other hand, is not necessarily an ex existential threat to the human race. So, I mean, I understand it from like the point of view where they're, they're, they're prioritize if it's, if it's about priority and what we prioritize as, as a human race, 
I, you know, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just kind of absorbing it in real time. But I mean, it's an interesting idea where, you know, if the goal is to populate and pop populate other planets and, and, you know, other, um, other places in, in space, then I guess it's an interesting idea. It doesn't seem on the surface to be mutually, uh, that you need to have one or the other mm. though. I, I don't understand that part. So th th there's so many rabbit holes that we can go down here. So I'll, I'll just keep unfurling a little bit more of this, this philosophy as we work through Unfurled, those points, because you, 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 you addressed a few of them there. So one of the key ideas was introduced by this guy, Nick Bostrom, um, mm. namesake. The, um, he is the guy that um, has proposed the, uh, uh, what is it, that we are living in a simulation. Yeah, among among other sort of things. He's a guy who's uh, actively, uh, he's, he's a transhumanist, which is the ideology that sees um, humanity as like a, a work in progress and that's something we should re-engineer. So it, like brain implants and connecting our brains to the imp internet and genetic engineering and creating designer babies and that kind of thing. And, and potentially also immortality through life extension. That's sort of, that's the, the idea of transhumanism. And that's one of the core tenets of, of this um, long-termism idea is that trying to, trying to get us to a point where we're sort of post-human is part of that idea. We're talking about a future in which humanity has changed and evolved and spread across the, the, the universe. Um, but so Bostrom is, um, he, he uh, in, introduced this idea, which is sort of key to this, this worldview called existential risk, which is defined as any event or originally defined as any event that would prevent us from creating this post-human civilization. This has subsequently been reworked a little bit and, and it, he's later implied it includes any event that prevents us from colonizing space or from simulating these enormous numbers of people in giant computer simulations. Um, that's a concept, by the way, that Elon Musk has retweeted and, and sort of got into. And, and more recently, Bostrom's redefined the term as anything that would stop humanity from attaining what he calls technological maturity or a condition where we fully subjugated the natural world and maximized economic productivity to the limit. Um, so the existential risks here um, could be something uh, like um, nuclear war or global pandemics and that kind of thing. Um, but also the idea of tackling climate change is often not seen as coming to that level because if it means the eradication of 75% of humanity in a global, uh, sorry, like in a long-term sense, that 75% of the 8 billion is a blip in terms of a utilitarian perspective of harm done. That's a blip compared to the lack of creation of the trillions upon trillions of digital people in the future. So we shouldn't be worried about losing three quarters of the population today if it means that the super rich who survive in their bunkers or, you know, who can make it through a climate catastrophe still get to go on and populate space. So that's mm. why a lot of the criticism in both of these articles that Maggie's linked um, and which I'll put in the show notes, draw the connection to the sort of eugenics doctrines and designing yeah. babies and choosing that there should be a better stronger species at the expense of others it's it's a little bit um creepy to be honest um but 
It's uh, interesting that uh, you know it was was it described in the 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 article that it was like the most dangerous not like most dangerous secular idea. Yeah, because it it does seem to me to echo some religious ideology in that it's like it's very much humans are the center and we need to we need to dominate the space and we need to dominate the universe where the center and and all all that matters is that we proliferate you know and that's a very much a religious idea it's like humans are at the top and that nature and animals and everything are are there to suit our needs and to be there to to uh, enable our proliferation. Yeah. But there's also, like, that extends into all kinds of other fucked up places. So there's discussion here about... um, So uh, Bostrom co-wrote a a book called Global Catastrophic Risks with a guy called Robin Hanson in which they talk about how if we end up in a pre-industrial phase again, you know, after some kind of catastrophe quote Mm. it might make sense to stock a refuge or bunker with real hunter gatherers and subsistence farmers together with the tools they find useful of course such people would need to be disciplined enough to wait peacefully in the refuge until such time to emerge uh, until the time to emerge was right perhaps such people could be rotated periodically from a well-protected region where they practice simple lifestyles so they could keep their skills fresh in other words, the plan is to take some contemporary hunter-gatherers whose populations have been decimated by industrial civilization, stuff them into bunkers with instructions to rebuild civilization in the event that ours collapses, um, which is <laughs> just kind of crazy and fucked up. Another one of the things they talk about how in terms of um, climate change here is that they say, yes, we should stop using coal and oil, not because that's contributing to the um, the climate change problems but because if the world goes tits up and everything regresses back to a a pre-industrial society those future humans will need coal and oil to restart civilization there'll need to be some left that they can they can start building electricity back up again which is again is just this crazy kind of fatalist futurist kind of uh supremacist behavior it's crazy yeah, it's it's this idea. I think we've talked about it before that you know the the goal of humanity is to progress, you know, technologically among other things, but like that 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 is that is the for some people that is that seems to be the goal we need to advance we need to advance humanity. And I guess that that is a that is a noble goal if if that means that if you if you want that goal to uh, make the lives of the people who are living easier because that seems to be the only reason why you would want to advance technology to me yeah. is to make people's lives easier not just to do it i mean i mean if the goal is to to create more souls or ma- more consciousness uh, which it sounds like that might like might be one of their one of their tenets of this theory then I mean, is that a, is that a noble goal? Is it should we be trying to create as much life as possible, as much consciousness, you know, even if it means that we are inhabiting other planets? Is that a noble goal? Well, it it draws it's it's a very valid question, right? Because it 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 comes to the fundamental idea of humanity. Like, what is humanity? When we talk about humanity in a um, behavioral sense. Right. Or in, in an aspirational sense, what we're 
use it for is to talk about kindness, really. When someone shows humanity, they're showing generosity and and inclusion and and um, perhaps in a in a way superior to animals, like a a repression of of basic instincts of survival and and a more idealistic optimistic behavior right that's humanity and yet if you take this long-termism kind of philosophy and apply it to the world to get yourself to a future in which uh their goals come true i don't think you're talking about humans anymore in fact explicitly you're talking about post-humanity right Hmm. so we're in effect advocating for the extinction of the humans as we currently exist to create some kind of digital people slash augmented cyborg future race out in the stars. And I don't know that that's, it's it's strange to advocate for your own extinction like that, don't you think? Yeah, they're almost advocating for artificial life over human life. And valuing that as more worthwhile, explicitly valuating that as more worthwhile. So another guy who seems to be on the, the Mount Rushmore of, of this long-termism thinkers is a guy called Nick Beckstead, who was CEO of the FTX Foundation, which was funded by Sam Bankman-Fried, and, and I think he recently just resigned. Um, but Nick Beckstead um, has said, quote, saving lives in poor countries may have significantly smaller ripple effects than saving and improving lives in rich countries. It now seems more plausible to me that saving a life in a rich country is substantially more important than saving a life in a poor country, other things being equal. Small changes to rich people has ripple effects that over millions, billions, and trillions of years add up to something significant. So there, there is a very explicit classist kind of view here that we should not care about people who are struggling now, which I just find kind of repulsive. Yeah, it's it's a bold it's a bold theory to put it out there, especially at this time. Yeah, um, it's also it just strikes me as like almost um, it's a hive mentality. Speaking of bees, you know, it's 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 like it's kind of like communistic. If that is that a word? Yeah, it's 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 almost communism. It's like whatever. It's you know, as you said, like utilitarian. It's like whatever for the greater good. Which I mean, I'm 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 kind of wrestling with this in my mind having just heard this theory in real time but like yeah. i guess you know there is some argument to, for a utilitarian point of view but you know to you know actively declare that the the lives of people who are living right now and who have family right now and who have pain and suffering right now uh, to dismiss that as you know, not serving the greater good or not worthwhile to the greater good is anti-human in a way. Yeah. Uh, so one of these articles here is talking about the fear here and, and why it's dangerous is because a lot of these people are extremely rich and they are interested in promoting this ideology and and getting it into the political apparatus. So if these kind of viewpoints do start to populate beyond the the realms of the philosophical and the literati and that sort of thing and get into politics whether by electing people who have these beliefs or 
transposing these beliefs onto people already in power, then you really start to see implications of that if it comes down to policy decisions. If people are trying to choose between how a government spends its money or whether it, it gets into a war with a different country, um, and that's the thinking behind it, not a concern for the people today, but for what happens in the future, that kind of thing can justify anything. Like you could justify invading another country and millions of lives killed if you can justify that it, you need the resources in order to prop up your future civilization. Like it's it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I guess we already kind of see a, a you know a little bit of that now with you know the top one percent just getting richer and the bottom ninety nine percent you know getting poorer. Like we uh we we see elements of that. I mean, I know you know politics is money. It's hard to imagine that you know these kind of ideas getting the popular vote from the working class. I mean, it's actively pushing down the working class. It seems like yeah, it's it it's impossible to to separate this ideology or this philosophy from a sort of a capitalist background, right? Where all the people talking about this are people guaranteed to make it, right? Like that's the only reason they're yeah. interested in it because they're insulated. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of theory you come up with a, with a, with a cigar between your teeth, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's either this is top hat and monocle behavior. Um, so all that having been said, um, you know, I don't have a great deal more to address about its its fundamental concepts here because I think we're both sort of on the same page that it, it just seems kind of batshit. I think there is an interesting line here, though, because at some point the opposite is also problematic. If all we're thinking about is tomorrow and all we're thinking about is the people around us, then we also have a similar um, scope problem here where the impetus to do something that changes things tomorrow for my political district or tomorrow for my kids at the expense of my grandkids is also, you know, a fundamental issue with, with humanity's survival and with how we expend our resources and our capital today. So I guess, do you have any suggestions as to what the, the satisfactory range of, of focusing on issues should be? How far is too far in each direction? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, as abhorrent as some of these ideas are, I think you do need a little bit of it. You know, you need you need a little bit of those forward thinkers. And I know you hate Elon, but like those guys that are visionaries that are are thinking their heads are in the clouds, their heads are in space. What is the what is the world going to look like in a thousand, two thousand years? I do think you need a little bit of that. It's it's when it comes at the cost of. You know, people living today, neglecting them and 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 dismissing their plight. I think that's when it's that's when it's problematic, and that's when it's that's when it's grotesque. You know, but I I do I I actually do think you need a little bit of of this. You need some of those thinkers to kind of propel humanity forward, but in a more measured way. If these ideas become, you know, I mean, it sounds like these ideas are coming from a few. Uh, you know, very rich individuals. If they if they proliferate and they become the norm, then we're we're getting into kind of you know apocalyptic sci-fi territory. It really feels like <laughs> yeah. that kind of zone. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if the human race is capable of just striking that balance on its own. They might be. 
I mean, just it, just in the kind of the um, the uh, what's the term for like the when best the best ideas win out, whatever that term is. Sort of like um, a, a form of Darwinism. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, if that's the case, you know, then you know that's that's good, that's great. Um, but I guess yeah, it's it feels it just feels abhorrent at the moment like the just like casting casting people with real lives just kind of just dismissing them and pushing them to the side feels so gross so let let's start picking a number here so let's let's see if we can find an area which seems plausible if we're talking about a governmental project in which 30 years from now there will be a Let's say it's a rewilding of a of a um, a suburb into natu- national park again, or something like that. It's thirty years until we see the positive effects of that. Is that a time frame we should be considering? Um, is that a valid long term goal? Even if the cost of that is is, for instance, moving people out of this suburb and and potentially increasing housing shortages, homelessness rates, you know, these kind of things. Is 30 years from now enough of a, a window to consider that that's worthwhile? I, 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 I just can't answer that question. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that question. Would you say that it's more reasonable to do that with a 30-year turnaround than a 100-year? If I said it's seen- in a hundred years, we'll see the the benefit from this. You know, the species will recover. The carbon capture of this rainforest will be back. But yeah, for a hundred years, the people that were living here will be displaced, or you know, will ha- there'll be an economic effect from that now. You know, on, on paper, you, you know, you kind of want to say yes. You know, on on paper, but that's the that's the thing. That's part of being a human. You can you can look at data or you could look at information you could look at a problem on a piece of paper and make it a mathematical equation or a cost benefit analysis and it becomes much easier to to answer that question or that problem uh then you you can meet one person and they can tell you how this is impacting them Mm. and you can be like well see ya i guess that's 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 part of the (laughs) i just i just have no idea I have no idea. And yet it is a thing which we as a society deal with every day. Like if if you want to build a new hospital somewhere and you are putting up a five-story building next to a residential district that was one-story houses, you're going to get people saying, don't build this next to me. And yet the the benefit for having that, that hospital there for the community at large is potentially immense all of a sudden emergencies get responded to faster you know healthcare improves for the populace at whole but everyone in that block sees their housing value diminish sees their yeah. access impeded sees their house view you know the view out the window change from a park to a wall every stage of this and that might take 10 years to come together every stage of those decisions involves some kind of calculus about the long term versus the short term yeah. so there must be people out there who have that ability to to work out what the value is or to, to, to do a calculus and decide that, yes, it is a worthwhile sacrifice to make. Yeah, it's, it's trolley problems. It it's, is trolley it's, problems. It's just, 
it's it's just it's just weighing up. Uh, it's it, I guess yeah, theoretically there could be a mathematical equation, but you know it's um this kind of feels like a religious rhetoric, but you know as soon as you try to break down these types of problems into a cost benefit analysis or a mathematical equation, it seems to suck out the humanity of it. Mm. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's, that's what we're kind of, that's what governments, I guess, are kind of weighing up, uh, you know, all the time and politicians are weighing up all the time. Is this, is this a balancing act between what's actually going to be better for the collective versus you know these few individuals it's it's interesting because you're right it, it it does collide with politics and democracy and and yet at the same time even that's an imperfect process because as has been established the short political terms three or four years in some cases for for most of these pollies skews their decision making to favor things that get done in three years so that yeah. they can say, hey, look at this thing I did, vote me back in, which yeah. which means that some of those even medium-term projects, something that might take 10 years to come together and might have a, a far greater on-paper benefit, are deprioritized because all of a sudden if it gets finished in two terms' time and your opponent's in power, you don't get to claim credit for that anymore. <laughs> you don't see the, yeah. the benefits. Um so it's a real fucking mm. naughty web of of morality and and bureaucracy and politics and democracy. Like who gets a voice to say do or don't do this? It's um yeah, yeah it's a fascinating area. Yeah, and you know we keep saying this, but I just don't think politicians get enough credit. Um, <laughs> yeah, for for the work that they do. Yeah. Uh, the one other angle of this, which I thought was interesting, was the the goal of getting to a post-human society, of augmenting humanity to a point where it can survive in space or connect to the internet or, you know, brain implants, all that kind of thing, implies an evolution of technology. And yet, almost without fail, the escalating complexity and development of technology is associated with far greater risks of like a existential disaster. You know, splitting the atom causes so much potential potential risk <laughs> to escalate now that we have nuclear weapons. And, and all of these kind of things have these asterisk consequences. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about the pace of technological development and whether for the good of society we should be trying to slow some of that down or whether you think the potential benefits of that technological acceleration could be used to help people yeah i feel like technology is one of those things that i don't know if we can even slow it down you know that might be defeatist attitude but i just feel like technology is this i don't know this is such a rough analogy but it's like this a uh, cat <laughs> that's trying to you know you're trying to to catch and it's just it is you, you might get a grip on it for a little bit and then it just slips away yeah because it's just trying to escape you it's it's too powerful and it's and it's it's not it's too powerful because it's everyone's it's literally everyone's in the entire world and now the world is connected more than it's ever been 
and it's going to continue to be connected more than it's ever been. And it just feels like the pace of technology, we're at the cusp of it now. We're at the kind of just the, the little bit on the graph before it just shoots up. Yeah. And I just feel like we're not we're not capable of actually controlling this wild animal and it's just going to shoot off and it's going to be great for a little bit. But it's also going to come with all these, and we're, we're already seeing it now, social media is part of technology and our, our, uh, our values and our, how, we, how we respond to this technology we just cannot measure up to the to the pace at which technology is moving. We can't. We we just can't compete with it. It's interesting because there is, as I sort of was alluding to, an inherent paradox here, where these people, the long termist worldview, was concerned about existential risks, right? Something that might stop humanity from becoming this space colonizing, far future, post human technological utopia, and yet. Technolo- technological development comes with potential existential risks. So there's this inherent tension between the idea. And some of the defences are sort of the the NRA slogan of guns don't kill people, people kill people. Um, basically, technology is a tool and uh, you can't blame it for, what, how, for how it gets used. Um, one of the people here quotes Carl Sagan to say, Many of the dangers we face indeed arise from science and technology, but more fundamentally because we've become powerful without becoming commensurately wise. Um, so part of this approach seems to be a bit of a, a hands-off thing. Well, it's not our fault if in our pursuit of long-term spacefaring goals we end up inventing a technology which is used to kill everyone. That's really just a fault of <laughs> of the, the people using it. Um, so... I, I think I would weirdly side with that belief enough to, to say that I, well, at least with, side with Carl Sagan, I should say, that <laughs> I'm worried that this technological advancement is happening before we've really thought through the implications of it. How, how could you, how would you slow it down? Well, I guess regulation? Uh, it's a very good question. I don't know. How do you slow it down? Well, if it's being developed in private corporate facilities, I don't know that how you can impose anything on that other than that a regulatory level, which comes from government, which comes from democracy. So it would take a sort of cultural concern that something was happening faster than it should or in, in a way that it was risking the average person and for that ideology to trickle through to a point where government acted. But I mean, look at how ineffective they've been at trying to constrain even the most simple of social media networks today. Like they still seem to be like, so what's Facebook? And, and meanwhile, democracy has been corrupted or, you know, genocides have been committed and they're still a bit like, should we do anything about that? And that's a 15 year old problem. Yeah. Um, it really just feels like that we're just living in the sweet spot of humanity. We're getting the benefits of, uh, I mean, of civilization. We are live. We're living in a time where we're getting the benefits of of all this technology. And yes, there are some, uh, you know, some side effects of that. But before it really kicks off, before it gets, <laughs> before it, goes it to feels shit. like it's going to get real <laughs> bad. You know, for our kids or our grandkids. Yeah, it just feels like we are. 
we're we're in a good spot right now. You know, we'll get to enjoy it for a little bit, and then it will go shit, and then we'll die, and everyone else will have to deal with it. How often in your day to day life does the thought of consequences beyond today, tomorrow, this week enter your brain? How often are you thinking, I should not do this because in ten years X, or because my kids X? You know, like how often does that cross your mind? Not enough. Not enough. Um, I mean, I I'm new to recycling, for example. You're new um, to recycling. Well, I've only I've only in the last like four years become conscious of it or started to recycle. Uh, it just it just I'm not blaming my folks here, but I am. But I'm not. But we didn't recycle when we were growing up. It just wasn't a thing. You just put everything in the in the trash. And I used to wonder why why the recycling bin was so much bigger than the rubbish bin. I was I literally until I moved out and lived in a share house. I was like, isn't that weird? Yeah. And then someone was like, you know, it's because you're meant to recycle more than you throw out the rubbish. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> What's recycling? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I like, I like it in theory, but I don't do enough to implement or uh, implement any practical changes to my to what i do but it also feels so much larger than you you know you got billionaires flying on private jets and then here i am you know scraping off my pizza box my domino's box and you know so that's that it's clean enough to put in the recycling bin like i mean it just feels like bigger than you but i know that it's like a you need to everyone needs to have this collective mentality in order for it to work but it just feels when you feel kind of defeated by the whole theory of it well, it's interesting because the idea of a carbon footprint was a corporate invention. That was a concept that came from industry to push the responsibility that they were facing for their emissions in, in manufacture and transport and all that kind of thing, and to take the heat off them and to say, but shouldn't everyone be worried about what they're doing? Like that was a mm. that was a corporate invention. <laughs> And that doesn't mean that there isn't value when thinking about your actions, as you just said, you know, yeah. like, yeah, let's recycle shit where we can. But as you say, most of the problem is elsewhere. So there is an interesting dance to be done where you can accept some responsibility for your actions while also still advocating or looking for bigger changes at a, at a bigger level beyond the individual. Yeah, I think, I think my big contrib contribution to society is going to be when I die, and instead of instead of getting a coffin, or or getting cremated, I'm gonna be turned into a tree. Okay, how do they do that? I'm gonna be one of those. I don't know. But so again, just to it. be clear, they turn you into a tree. Yeah, Matt, they don't plant I saw you and Matthew McConaughey's Instagram. Okay, I think they turn you into some. They put you in with some um, some soil and some some seeds and stuff, and then you okay. and then you become a tree. They grow you and would. give you oxygen. Yeah, yeah, right. So okay. I think that's when I'm really gonna, I'm gonna really give back. You didn't consider the the jewelryification, you know, like cremation and then turned into a diamond, and then maybe you just become a necklace. You know, hand it down to your kids. Well, I could become a necklace, and then someone could sell me for a lot of money, and uh -huh. then they could use that for good. Plant they some trees. Get give it to Africa, for example. Okay. His. So, so what if what if the long-term goal here is to repay the blood diamonds that we stole by cremating mm. all of the white people around the world and sending them back 
and just that's balance it out. That's pretty good, actually. We got to think long term. Do you want to do that? <laughs> I'm in if you're in. All right. As long as it's not just me. We'll die together. <laughs> well, thank you, Maggie. Um, that was that was an interesting uh, point of discussion. Um, I think our takeaway yeah, is, one, is let's think about things a little bit in the future, not too far in the future, just the, the Goldilocks in the middle. <laughs> and that's objective. <laughs> and up to you. Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate it. There's plenty more that you might like. Back in the old back catalogue, we've talked about similar topics in the past. So why don't you go scrolling down that list and find one that speaks to you. Give it a crack. Um, you can also get in touch, much like Maggie Dig, by sending us an email to deepfort at gmail.com. You can find us on the social network of your choice. You can listen to our songs and episodes on Spotify. And, of course, you can just try to make the world a better place by turning yourself into a diamond when you die. So... Put that into your and, will. And give us five stars on Spotify. Give us five stars wherever you it's see the It's very easy to do. I know a lot of you are listening to us on Spotify. Just tap the five stars button. Yeah. It's right there. Okay. I, I'm actually a little bit impressed because I was worried you're going to come off real hot again. And you actually sounded persuasive rather than aggressive. So I think we're making some real progress here with your tone. Uh, it's peaks and troughs, Nick. I'll, just, I'll come back. <laughs> extra hot next week <laughs> okay um well why don't you uh lead us into that by uh giving me a bit of weird news please all right let's weird news it up play the jing in the news today from the strange and weird fact file well for decades only crackpots and crazy people believed in ufos yeah, that's what I say anyway. the suspect told them he's been performing sex acts on animals since the 1970s i told about my close encounter with the yeti a sticky situation at an airport in Tennessee after baggage spray from Turns out, the government has been taking This is Deep Thought Weird News with Michael Zubarev Sludge. Um, all right. <clears throat> this this week's weird news um, involves whale I'm, meat. Oh, I was about to say, uh, I, I was going to place a bet that we had landed on the same one, but we haven't, which is exciting, which means I can also bring a weird news to this. Okay, so we're going to do double weird? Well, double weird. I love it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, this is not, this is, this is kind of more on the, on the more reasonable, I, that's a wet, I shouldn't say that. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is, tell this me is, what to uh, do. I'll keep things in, even if it makes you look embarrassing. An interesting weird news um, involving whale meat. And I don't know if you heard about this, Nick, but Japan has launched whale meat vending machines in order to promote sales. Wow. You haven't heard about this? Let me just give you a little taste. A Japanese whaling operator, after struggling for years to promote its controversial products, has found a new way to cultivate clientele and bolster sales whale meat vending machines wow the whale store an unmanned outlet that recently opened in the port town of yokohama near tokyo houses three machines for whale sashimi whale bacon whale skin whale steak as well as canned whale meat at prices starting from a thousand yen which is about 10 australian dollars very affordable and going up to three thousand yen it's about i don't know 26 australian dollars the outlet features uh, white vending machines decorated with uh, cartoon whales and is the third 
to launch in the Japanese capital region. It opened Tuesday after two two others were introduced in Tokyo earlier this year as part of uh, it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Whale meat has, has long been a source of controversy, but sales in the new vending machines have quietly gotten off to a good start, the operator says. Anti-whaling protests, uh, protests have subsided since, Japanese three, uh, since Japan three years ago terminated its much-criticized research hunts in the Antarctic and resumed commercial whaling off the Japanese coast. Uh, the company hopes to expand the vending machines to 100 locations across the country in five years, company spokesperson spokesperson uh, Konomu Kubu told the Associated Press a fourth is set to open in Osaka next month. A hundred to- units in five years. A hundred locations. That's what I mean. That's so much whale. That's so much. That's a stock, lot of whale. Stock in a hundred units daily with whale. My God. I mean, it feels like a lot. I mean, whales are big, Nick. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> true. Seen, but they 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 can That's feed a, a lot, lot of Japan. Also, what are it's they doing with whale. skin? Whale skin. I don't know. Maybe it's like crackling or something. Whale bacon as well. I guess that implies like it's got a bit of the fat attached. I don't know. God, so I've many heard, phrases heard, here that I've unsettling. Heard I've heard whale is just dog shit. I you know, just I, I told that to you because I've eaten whale. Oh, you have eaten whale, of course. Yeah, I think yeah. it was you. Yes. Yeah. You're a part choice, of the problem. A choice I that. regret. But yeah, it was uh, 12 uh, years ago. Imagine now. canned yeah. canned whale. Canned, canned whale. Tinned whale. Yeah. Put that on a cracker. Yeah. Some cheese. Jeez. That's the, I mean, the Japan, famously the. Uh, the vending machine capital of the world but god mm. that's that feels to me like a um a way to make access of it like from a business perspective clever because one of the biggest deterrents of getting whale meat i imagine is going to the butcher or to the thing and getting the whale yeah it's if a you are anonymous. just anonymously like walking down the street picking up your can of hot coffee and then a, a can of cold whale meat you sort of you don't have to look anyone in the eye you don't have to deal with any of the protesters out the front or anything it's just a machine yeah i mean where else i mean speaking of dystopian futures yeah i mean where else can you could you get you know a a pair of a 13 year old girl's panties from a vending machine and then right next door get a tin of tin of a whale tuna is that a real thing though is that just apocryphal like i know the story but was that a thing i can guarantee you it's a real thing and i can't tell you why (laughs) okay we're talking okay no i don't want to ask that question (laughs) i've decided not to um (laughs) good boy uh but yeah how about how about that that's uh, that's, a lot isn't it that's that's unfortunate really Um, poor whales poor whales we stand we at deep fort i just want to put this on the record we at deep fort stand with the whales yeah hashtag ally all of them yeah all of them everyone ones even the ones that eat other whales oh really the orcas yeah well they're not really a whale i suppose they're more of a they're not they're not isn't that a misnomer killer whales are not whales they're closer to dolphins or something i don't know anyway Wow, they seem sweet. Um, how would you like some weird news, Michael? <laughs> All right. Let's... Play the jingle. I d- play the jingle again. <laughs> In the news today from the Strange and Weird Fact File. 
Well, for decades, only crackpots and crazy people <laughs> believe in UFOs. Uh, okay, I got, I got one to, um, to really bring this thing full circle. Um, I don't. I assumed that you saw this <laughs> article, but um, maybe just declined to bring it up. Uh, this one, it was reported everywhere, but I am quoting from RNZ. The headline: Dalai Lama regrets asking boy to suck my tongue. I did see this, <laughs> and I I clocked it. I actually heard it on a podcast and clocked it. I was like, should bring that up. Yeah. Didn't, but go on, love this. The Dalai Lama has apologized after footage showed him asking a boy if he wanted to suck the Tibetan spiritual leader's tongue. His office yeah. said he wanted to apologize to the child and his family for the hurt his words may have caused. The video also shows the Dalai Lama kissing the child on his lips. Quote, mm. His holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. He regrets the incident. The footage sparked yeah. widespread criticism with many social media users saying it was inappropriate and disturbing. Uh, the foundation uploaded photos from the event on social media in March. In one of them, the Dalai Lama is seen hugging the boy from the viral video. In the video, which is circulated online, the boy is seen asking if he can hug the Dalai Lama. The leader motions to his cheek saying, first here, and the boy kisses his cheek and gives him a hug. Then while holding the boy's hand, the Dalai Lama motions to his lips and says, I think here also, and kisses the boy on oh, the lips. No. The leader then puts his forehead Dalai. to that of the boys before sticking out his tongue and saying, and suck my tongue. As some people oh, laugh, the boy sticks his tongue out before withdrawing a little, as does the Dalai Lama. Okay. So, that um, is kinky as fuck. Yeah. In Look, 20 my, man, my man's, my man's, uh, my man's horny. My man's horny. <laughs> he's a look. What can I say? He's, um, he's really trying to, I guess, boost the, the profile, perhaps, of, of some of that um, religious discussion. Um, the, it's interesting. It's a shame that, because, yeah, go on. So the end of the um, the article here, they say that sticking one's tongue out is a form of greeting in Tibet. Interesting context there. Okay. Um, the last sentence of the article here, though, is in 2019, the Dalai Lama's office apologized after the spiritual leader told the BBC in an interview that any future female Dalai Lama should be attractive. <laughs> 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 so again, that's some big Amazing. dick energy. I love that. Uh, you know, it's it's um, you know we've got this we've got this view. The the Buddhism has this perception that it's like almost above Christianity. It doesn't get it. You know, it kind of rises above shit. You know. Yeah. Uh, it, so it's nice to see that you know His Holiness is um, is is just a creep like everyone else. You know. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice. It's yeah. like they're all it's they're all shit. It's they're comforting. All, they're all just horn dogs. You know. Yeah. By the way, by the way, what is the Dalai Lama? I mean, just going around making people call you his, your, your holiness. I mean, grow up. You're a grown man. Come on. <laughs> your holiness? Just call me Dalai, okay? Yeah. I first, uh, look, first name basis is fine. Thank you. Mr. Lama, at least. <laughs> yeah. 